message. This morning we're going to finish up in our series on Heart for the House. The Pulse, uh, discovering God's heartbeat for his house. And we're going to be talking about uh, the sent people of God. That's you and me. It's the church. And uh, I want to begin by just saying this, that there have been, uh, of the handful of, um, I, well, let me say this first. I love being connected to North Rock. I do. And I have about five different moments in the last two years that I can think of where I was over uh, my heart for this house, this church, this group of people, was overflowing. And of those handful of times, right, I would say the two of the ones that stick out the most took place in each of the last two years. The first time was three, three weekends into our time here as pastors. When I came with Chad, to, when Chad was installed as the lead pastor here at North Rock, and I came to help with that because of my friendship and kinship with um, Chad, it, I, you know how there's that experience early on where you're just kind of courting each other, you're figuring each other out, you're trying to realize, is this going to be a good match, you know? Uh, I was going through that period, and I was trying to get a lay of the land of North Rock and, and Foursquare in general. Uh, I knew Chad, but I had yet to come to know us, right? And so you, you go through that kind of period of time, and early on, within the first three weeks, we had something. We did something that I um, that told me I'm in, and it was when we sent the church plant to to Erie. Do you remember that day? Were you guys around? Some of you were around. I know some of you are newer since then and weren't here for that. But a group of people had been training and being built up uh, with a dream and vision for Erie up north, and North Rock was uh, committed to um, supporting that new church. And this was at a time in which North Rock was experiencing immense amount of pressure financially. And yet, when Chad came in, the leadership was committed to fulfilling on that obligation, that promise. We said, we're going to do this. This is, even in the midst, it would have been really easy for us to say, I want to hold on to this group of leaders and the financial commitments we've made to this church plant and to build things up, right? Uh, and do, it, do, do that down the road when it felt a little bit easier. We, we, we wouldn't hurt as much. <laughs> and yet we didn't do that. We said, no, we're going to be faithful to that commitment, and we're going to plant this church. And we brought up John and Gina, and we prayed over them, and we sent them. We commissioned them. And in that moment, I, I said, I'm in. This is a group of, if this group of people is willing to do something like that, that's, I want to roll with them, okay? That was, I felt so proud at that moment to be a part of North Rock. The other time was when we had a gathering of North Rock Espanol leadership, and we brought them up, and we talked about the part, you saw the video and the partnership, and again, within another year, we had identified, begun to train, raise up, and equip, and then send a new community to the Hispanic-speaking community here in North Rock or in North Glen in Thornton, and again that heart—you saw the heartbeat for that, right? On that video that says, "Okay, we don't have to do everything, we don't have to be everything, but it's up to the church to embody and w- give witness to the good news of the gospel in our community. And if the, the old ways aren't working, we're going to find new ways to make that happen." 
And so in two years, this church has planted two churches. That's crazy. And uh, I'm proud of us for that. I'm proud of the way that God has worked in our midst to do this. Um, But I'm proud not only just in in the specifics of North Rock, I'm uh, proud of being a part of a movement that's committed to keep doing that, that has a sense of the identity of the church as the sent people of God. So I want to talk to us this morning about what it means to be the sent people of God and how we are, some of the different ways we're going to approach that together, okay? Let me pray for us and we'll continue. God, thank you that you, you, get, you call, you gather, you build up, and then you send your church by the power of your spirit. We recognize that this is you who does this. And you do it because this is who you are. And so, God, we pray that you would give us the grace to live into our destiny as sent people. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, so let's talk about that. Why am I so proud of that? Why does that resonate with me so much? Well, it has, a, has to do with my own kind of personal history. And I'm going to share a little bit about some of the dreams that God has put into me that I feel like are, are being birthed here in the context of North Rock. Okay, but before I do that, I want to get into some context. I want to explore with you the idea of mission as the mother of theology. Mission as the mother of theology. What do I mean by that? Well, mission, its root word, uh, is derived from the word sent. Okay, mission is to, to be on mission is to be sent. Does that make sense? It comes from the Latin word missio. Okay, and uh, when I say mission is the mother of theology, what I'm suggesting to you is that mission is the thing that produces or bears forth or brings forth our theological reflection. When we talk about theology, theology is simply what we say about God. Theology is what we have to say about God, who he is, what he does. Mission is the mother of theology. Reflect back to the early church. A group of first disciples, first people, first followers of Jesus. These are individuals that were called, gathered around Jesus, and they had walked and journeyed with him. They had explored life with him. They had learned from him. He had taught them. They had experienced his death, a devastating event. And then, but they also were witness to his resurrection, the, the most transformational kind of thing that could ever happen to a person. I mean, at the very core of the Christian message is resurrection. I mean, that someone who had died was raised from the dead, that's crazy, unless it actually happened. If it really happened, then it's the central event in all of human history. It's the game changer. It changes everything. It forces us to rework our thinking about who God is and what God does. And so those first Christians had walked with Jesus, talked with Jesus, learned from Jesus, seen Jesus, experienced him, and then had been witness to his resurrection. And then just as they had been called and gathered and built up by Christ, they were sent by him. Jesus says, go, you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the ends of the earth, Acts chapter 2. And so he sends them. He breathes on them the Holy Spirit as a sign of the Spirit of God coming to rest upon them, power of the Holy Spirit, and then they're sent in the name of Jesus. Now, when those first disciples then started going into the surrounding world, 
and encountering people, by na- by almost by default, they felt like they needed to express or share the good news that the one who had died and been crucified by the Romans actually was raised from the dead, revealing himself to be the Lord of both heaven and earth, and in, in the king over all creation. That the world, the cosmos, has a king. And that king is alive, and he reigns. And that was good news. And so they went and they shared news about this Jesus of Nazareth. Now, when they would encounter people, they would share that news, and, the, and those people would say, now what, okay, but what does that have to do with God? How does this Jesus relate to God? And they would say, good question. And then they'd go back, and they'd think that through, and they'd do theology, and they'd connect the dots. And that's where we started getting the idea of uh, the Trinity, for instance, or other kinds of experience. Like, how does Jesus relate to what we've traditionally understood God to be? So they would say, we've experienced revelation, and we have, are, are going and telling the world, but we need to answer the questions that the world then has for us. And what I love about this picture is that it's the mission, it's the sent people of God encountering real people in a real world with real questions that produces theological reflection. These individuals were not professional theologians, right? They were not. They were tradesmen, farmers, fishermen, that sort of thing. They didn't go away to seminary like Princeton to reflect deeply and ponder and get all their theological ducks in a row, right? No, they were everyday, normal people who had been called to a community in a particular time, in a particular place, and they were sent by the Lord. And that Lord, they were obedient to his, both his calling and his sending. And so they did some reflection then on... Who, that, who was the one that was sending them. So I want to begin by saying, mission is the mother of theology. Mission produces our theological reflection. It's not the other way around. And, and what is kind of cool right now is that the church, for a time, for a long period of time, had forgotten about that, but is now reclaiming that identity. That the, the church, especially in the West, in the United States and others, we're starting to reclaim that conception about ourselves. Here's our text for the morning. And it's a simple yet profound text. It comes from John chapter 20, verse 21. And this is what Jesus then says to his disciples. As the Father has sent me, I am sending you. As the Father has sent me, I am sending you. Now give that some reflection. Give that some thought. And you'll start to realize that this has massive implications for how we live our life together. What we're called to be and to do. As the Father sent me, I am sending you. The call to be a disciple of Jesus is not just a privilege. It brings with it a responsibility. We're going to talk about that in upcoming weeks. But right now, we're going to talk about the sent nature of the people of God. And when we talk about that, we need to recognize that we're reclaiming this idea that mission is the mother of theology. 
Here's another way of putting it. A theologian, one of those ivory tower dudes that I read a lot, okay, Jürgen Moltmann put it this way. Today, one of the strongest impulses towards the renewal of the theological concept of the church comes from the theology of mission. In other words, the way we understand the very nature of the church is coming from the church as it engages in mission. Here's, or here's another way. And this is, uh, you've heard me talk about Leslie Newbigin. He's been a huge influence on my life, but he puts it this way. As the Father has sent me, so I send you, defines the very being of the church as mission. In this sense, everything that the church... Okay, are you listening? In this sense, in this sense, everything that the church is and does can be and should be part of mission. Everything. That we are a missionary people. Mission is the mother of theology. So as we then, if we take that seriously, as we then engage in mission, at the sending, God sending us into our environments, our surroundings, as we engage in that kind of conversation, as we run up against real people with real questions, it pushes us to reflect on the very character and nature of God and how we speak about him and what we have to say about him. Everyone with me? Okay, so some more context. I want to talk about the Christianized culture, okay? And what I mean by this is that the, there is a lingering effects of a Christianized culture. Up, I said we're reclaiming this identity of mission for the church. The church hasn't, hasn't necessarily always thought of itself in this way. In fact, I would suggest to you for the last 1,000 to 1,500 years, the church hasn't thought of itself in this way at all. It hasn't been on the radar screen. And I don't want to get too far into the weeds because I know I'm going to lose everyone to a nap in the morning. But here's what it basically means. For most of the, of the church's experience in its life in the last 1,000, 1,500 years, in the West, in Europe, and then in the United States, and North America, Canada, other nations like that, the church has existed in the context of what we call Christendom or a Christianized culture. Here's a basic definition of what that means. It's when the, larger, the, the church exists within a context where the larger culture takes as default a Christian worldview, where it experiences a place of privilege, where it's propped up socially, culturally, even economically by the surrounding culture. Christendom is when people go to church because that's what a good civic-minded person does. Everyone with me? Not necessarily because they've had a transforming encounter with the risen Jesus. Christendom is a place where the church experiences benefits and a privileged status, whether that's tax exemptions or being literally built, the towns being literally built around the church with it at the center of its midst, etc., etc. It's where um, Christians move through a culture where the culture assumes the same basic worldview. And that has been the case for most of the church's experience in the West, in Europe, and the United States, and North America, North America in general, for the last 1,500 years. There's some history behind that. I'm not going to get into it. But I, but I want you to understand and just 
maybe you can either do some research or take as given that this has been the case that has existed for the church for the last 1,500 years. Now, in that kind of environment, that has implications for how we do theology. Because when you move into a world where you assume everyone's a Christian by default, then you assume your perspective on God, you take as a given that your perspective on God is reinforced, affirmed, and held, believed by those around you. That's not a missionary context. Do you notice that? That's not a context in which you are seeing yourself as a sent people. It's a context in which everything's reinforcing your base assumptions that are unexamined in many cases. Okay? And so the way the church has mainly talked about mission in the last, I don't know, a thousand years again, maybe not even that, 500 years, is the idea of mission is missions where the church sends missionaries overseas to another place, another context that doesn't assume Christian values, beliefs, worldview, and does missionary work there. So missions is something we do over there, not here. Okay? In that kind of context, then, theology is the mother of mission. Right? What we already take as given about who God is, what we already have to say about God, is then reinforcing we do the sending over there. What's interesting is, in the last hundred years, all that started to change. More and more, we cannot assume a Christian context here in, for instance, the United States. More and more, we are pluralistic, multicultural, multi-ethnic, multi-faith. You rub shoulders every day with people that you can't take as a given believe a Christian worldview. Whether that's in the grocery store, at, uh, in the supermarket, whether that's at the laundromat, whether that's on the ball field, whatever. We're encountering more and more different cultures. And the, as a result, the church is starting to recognize that, that we are called to be a sent people here in this place, in this time. Okay? One of the individuals who helped us begin to think through this transition is a guy by the name of Leslie Newbegin. Uh, like I said, a theologian that has influenced me tremendously. Er, uh, in early on, he was a missionary to India. He went overseas, right, to India. And in that context, he had to rethink his theology because of the real questions that were being asked of him. He had brought with him a base assumption about the church. Early views of his assumptions about the church are a gathering of individual believers who get together to be nourished in and by the life of Christ, who have responded to the testimony of Scripture. Right? This is where a group of people, individuals, who've made a faith commitment, who get together to be built up and fed, you, see, you hear that language a lot, right? And who have, res- who have responded to the testimony of Scripture. Now, all this is good. It's all good. But there's more to the story, he realized. Because if it's just left here, then you start to go, well, what, what, this is where we get the idea of the holy huddle, right? The group of people who gather together just to reinforce their own beliefs already. But he said, at the, but it doesn't take into... Uh, consideration the full depth of the sending nature of God. See, 
he began to realize that since Jesus did not write a book, but left behind a community, a community to communicate the gospel of the kingdom, the church now played a central role in any kind of understanding of the gospel. That there's not just the news about, the, of, about Jesus, it's also the community that bears that news. See, the church must be defined in terms of its calling to be bearers of the gospel of Christ. I've, I've quoted this many times. He says, uh, I've become convinced that the only hermeneutic of the gospel, the only way you know it, the news of Jesus is really true and good is when it, you see it lived by the community that believes it and lives by it. That the church is integral to the, the testimony of the good news of Jesus. So, here's a missionary society. There's all sorts of interesting conversations that were happening during the 50s on the changing idea of mission. And this, this, uh, the Geneva Conference that took place back in 1956 um, put forward a definition of mission, and where they say this. We start with the basic assumption that the triune God is the Lord of this world and at work within it, and that the church's task is to point to his acts, to respond to his demands, and to call mankind to this faith and obedience. This has been the rediscovering of the idea of mission as the birthplace and the movement of the church. Okay, I know that that's a lot of academic stuff. Let me personalize it. I started reading, this is part of my story. I started reading this material and encountering these theologians and rethinking my concept of not only um, the church, but my own calling as a pastor. And this happened in New Jersey at Princeton, and then later in the first five years of ministry as I was pastoring a church called Hope Presbyterian Church. Uh, so it started in New Jersey, and then, and then I started pastoring a church called Hope Presbyterian Church in Tinton Falls, New Jersey. That was the church, my first church I pastored. For five years, I was their pastor. Can you believe that? I was a young dude, 28 years old. And uh, doesn't, isn't that a cute church, by the way? Like, this is the, like, you just look at that and you go, oh, that is awesome. Cute little church with a ton of really great people. Here's the thing, though. And my time there, I started to become disquieted because I realized that um, as much as there is beautiful people there and there is a, a great sense of community and connection, connectedness, there was no real sense of the calling to move into the community and make an impact. They had gathered and become a bit of a, a crew, that, a club. And they, they went to church as a part of, this is what we do, right? And so at the time, I was young, and so I was trying to generate and motivate, but I didn't yet have the language or the theological framework and some of the real-world I had a lot of theology, but I didn't have maybe a lot of the real-world ways of talking about this and to help and uh, unpack that. And so over time, I began to get kind of anxious because I was like, I don't want to just pastor a community that's going to hang out together. I want to make a difference. I want to be a part of a community that is committed to making a difference. And so... This was something that I had to learn for myself, right? I originally, um, when I left seminary, I thought to myself, give me a good church that loves me and that I can love, and I could go anywhere. 
But more and more I started to realize no actually context and the calling and the kind of church and what we're doing really matters a lot. In fact, I realized, you know, it's really important if I'm going to be the kind of pastor and just Christian that I feel God is calling me to be, I can't just love the community, the church that I'm called to pastor. I need to love the community that I've been called to pastor that church in. I need to love the world. And I realized I had a real honest kind of conversation with myself and with Robin where I realized I don't love my community. I don't love this place. I love these people. But I need to have a heart for that larger, the the context. I knew I wasn't ultimately going to stay there. And so as a result, we decided to make a shift. Here's the second thing. We were doing some reflection, and we said, what would it look like? What kind of community would we want to be a part of? And one of the deep kind of commitments that we realized was that, well, I remember first, I remember asking Robin the question, if we were having marriage problems, who would we talk to? And everyone that we could come up with, that list of names, didn't live in our community, didn't live, well, even wasn't a part of our church. They were all in different places. And I realized that's not a good thing. That's a problem. Because we need to be tied in to this community like that's our primary resource. And so we started asking questions. What kind of community do we want to be a part of? What kind of church? And we started framing it as this. We want to be a part of a group of people that live as if what they believe is really true. That are willing to take risk, to move out into the world, to make friendships with people across conventional boundaries and ideas. And, and that a demonstrate in their life the good news of Jesus. And so we dreamt, and we began to dream about that, what that church looked like. And that was, I think, the beginning when God started to birth an idea of a church plant, right? Not, we didn't have that kind of language at the time that was kind of a foreign idea to us. It was just a conventional pastor in a community church in New Jersey. But we started to dream about a missional church, a church that's in, that understands itself as mission, as sent. And so we ended up coming to Denver, <laughs> right? Uh, some of that was because my family lives down Colorado, Colorado Springs, but some of that was because we just loved the city of Denver. And, and that was a big piece of it. We needed to love the community that we've been sent to. And I love Denver. If you've hung out with me at all, you know how much I love Denver. In fact, within the first year that we moved out here, um, I said to Robin, I feel more at home in this first year than the eight years we lived in New Jersey. And we found friendships and, and a group of people that we were doing life with on a daily basis and uh, like our little home church experience. And we made deep connections. That's when I met Chad. And that's when we bonded together, etc. Like, And it just started to go from there. But we began to dream about church and doing church a little bit different, not for the sake of doing it different, but recognizing that the landscape's changing, and if there's a whole group of people that won't ever step into that little community church that I pastored, it would just would never be on the radar screen to do that. And so we feel, Robin and I feel particularly called to that group of folks that are kind of urban and young and professionals and are flocking to Denver and have a bit of an allergy to traditional church, but have deep questions about who God is. And we love having that encounter, rubbing shoulders, elbows with people who speak that kind of language and to, and to have a conversation 
about what it is that God and Christ has done for the world and how that's good news. And, and, and so we've begun to dream about forming groups of communities, what we call incarnational communities. And it's this idea of, it's this idea of uh, groups of people who are living as Jesus lived. As the Father has sent me, I am sending you. Who live as Jesus lived together for the world. So, what does that mean? First, it means we need to point to his acts. Part of what we did when we came out here was we started remembering. Remember how God took care of us in this difficult time? Remember how he pointed the way for us in this time? Remember how he opened doors in this? We were remembering, we were pointing to the gracious action of God in our lives. And when we did that, we started realizing he's not just working in us, we're able to also see the ways in which he's working in other people. We remember his acts. Secondly, we respond to his demands. God has made requests on our lives. That has meant us limiting some of the pleasures and the things that we really want for the sake of the mission. We are, we've taken more risk than we ever have before. And I can tell you something. It's one thing to hear a sermon about risk. It's another thing to live it. That will change you. But, but we, we don't take risk just for risk's sake. We're, it's in response to his commands. And finally, to call others to faith and obedience. See, one of the things that I realized in, uh, over these last 10 years I've been learning about myself is I'm more of an evangelist than I realized. I'm more of an evangelist than I realized. I never used to think of myself as evangelist. That's someone else's gift. And yet, as I look back at my life, and if you've hung out with me, you know this, I will tell you everything that I'm into. Like, if it's baseball, I will talk forever about it, right? Or if I'm learning something about strength training, I can go on and on. Or if it's something like my fantasy team, or, or if, whatever, whatever I'm into, I'm always sharing good news about that thing. <laughs> well, the same is true about my love for Jesus. And my deep desire is to see people who have yet to come to believe in him, to, 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 come to have an encounter with him, to come to know him as he is, as he is good and beautiful and generous and gracious unto us. Because I think he's life. He's the reason for living. It's not about where you go after you die. It's about the life you live now, his life in you. And I have a real heart for people who have yet to come to believe. I, those, are the one, those conversations are the ones that excite me. It, the, getting people who are already Christian more motivated is tough for me. Because, I mean, I'm like, let's go. Let's do this. What do you mean? How can you not want to? Call others to faith and obedience. And you know what? Pointing to his acts, responding to his demands, calling others to faith and obedience, this is all throughout those scriptures, the witness of the testimony of the church. Okay? Deuteronomy 5.15, Remember that you were once slaves in Egypt, but the Lord your God brought you out with his strong hand and powerful arm. Remember. Remember what God has done for you. Remember because we forget. Jesus called out to them, come, follow me. I will show you how to fish for people. Come, follow me. This Christian, uh, Christian discipleship begins with God's call and our response. It begins with his call. He's, and that means demands. God is the Lord of our life. 
And, and so we respond to his demands. I call others to faith in beings. I had one message for Jews and Greeks alike, the necessity of repenting from sin and turning to God and of having faith in our Lord Jesus, that he is going to be the one that defines our life and our future. This is, he is what it means to experience human flourishing. So, and all of that leads then to this idea that we've, we've rooted ourselves in this, this theological concept of participation in Christ. That the definition of a Christian is Christ's life in us, our life in Christ. Do you see that? The definition of a Christian is Christ's life in us, our life in Christ. That means what's true about Jesus has become true about you. In his life, in his death, and in his resurrection. His calling, his justification of your life, his, his sanctification of your life, and his vocation for your life. And that third idea, that, that sense of vocation, is it's not just true that we're saved in, in Christ, that we are made whole in Christ, but we are also sent in Christ. That his mission in the world, his love, God so loved the world that he gave his only son. And, in, and as, I have sent, as, I, as the Father has sent me, I am sending you. So we have to have a love for the world. There is no participation in Christ's redemption without participation in his mission. Can't have one without the other. Melissa Newbigin puts it this way. It is of the very essence of the church that it is for that place, for that section of the world for which it has been made responsible. And the for has to be defined Christologically. In other words, the church is for that place in a sense that is determined by the sense in which Christ is for the world. So we have been called and gathered and built up here, and we've been sent to this community for this community in the same way that Jesus is for this community. And the community only knows that Jesus is for this community in and how far they and how much they see this church as a sent people demonstrating we're for you. We're going to bless you. Because you're here. Because you're worthy of that blessing. And you are being called to a life in Christ. So, for us, for Robin, we've talked to, I've talked to you about how we feel called to Denver. So we've been dreaming about uh, doing a church plan in Denver. And our dream is simple. To see a group of communities, home fellowships, home churches, whatever, a network of home fellowships that are doing life in Denver in such a way that are reaching those that would not normally come to a place like this. And we want to do it in such a way that is winsome and compelling. And so we have certain visions and values for that community. We have a, va- we have a value for beauty, for friendship, and for generosity. Beauty, friendship, and generosity. We've picked those values because, one, they're accessible. They're not christian ease, right? It doesn't necessarily... Anyone can engage those concepts. And I think our, if you look in the urban environment of Denver, there's a deep desire and longing for that which is good and beautiful. There's a deep desire for friendship in a, set, in a world of isolation. There's a deep desire for generosity in a world of lavish stuff. But what I like about these values is they're also deeply theological. See, we say that we value beauty because Jesus is beautiful and he is good. And we say that we desire friendship because Jesus has said, I have called you my friends. I no longer call you slaves. I call you friends. 
And we say that God, uh, we value generosity because God is generous in Jesus. He has poured out his life for us. See, they're deeply theological, but, it's, but they're derived from our mission, our sense of our engagement with the questions that people are asking, the real questions, and the answers that come in the gospel. This is what we're dreaming about. Emmanuel Fellowship. Emmanuel, God with us. A group of people gathered around Christ who is with us. We have communion with this God. What you need to know is while this is our dream, it's also actually your dream. In that, we cannot conceive of ourselves doing this apart from North Rock Church. This church is in the process of sending us. I don't know if you've known this about it, but for the last two years, the North Rock has created an environment of the training and, and the gathering and building up and sending of communities like this. We cannot conceive of Emmanuel Fellowship apart from North Rock Church. So we are a part of your mission. And I am a part of this church. So I need to say this then. When we talk about planting this church, that doesn't mean I'm leaving because I feel deeply called to this community now too. But we're going to do church in a new way where we can mutually encourage and support each other. And this is just one more way in which we're living out the call that God has placed on North Rock, the mission, which is to raise up disciples, leaders, churches, and movements. That's our mission at North Rock. Disciples, leaders, churches, movements. And you're a part of that. And the way we do it is to talk about attracting, connecting, training, and sending. So, why do we make such a big deal about our methodology, the attract, acts, attract, connect, train, and send? Because this is what we have discerned is God's calling for North Rock. That if you are here, that we're calling, you are here hopefully because you have been attracted to the love of God through the life of this community. That you are being engrafted and trained up. You've, you're being connected and trained up in such a way that you're being equipped for then your ultimate vocation of being sent into your neighborhoods, into your vocations, into your deep desires and hearts and lungs, the way that the, what you have to say about God, your theology about who God is in Christ Jesus. And that, that can, and I'm here to say that, that theology, what you have to say about Jesus can only happen as it's born from your mission, your, your sense of mission in the world. And our sense, together, as a, a, a people of faith. If I have one thing to say for us this morning, it's this. That God has a call on your life. He has raised you up. He is training you. He's equipping you. He's connecting you to his body. And the, all for the sake of his purpose, the sending of each and every one of us and as a community into our um, vocation in Jesus. We get to participate in his life. And that's what it means to be a sent people of God. And so this morning we respond in faith, we respond in love, and we respond in hope for the future as we give voice to our love of him through worship. So will you stand with me as I pray? God, thank you for how you move and work. It's a mysterious thing. It's a 
It, sometimes it seems like a foggy thing, like a, it's tough to know exactly where you have for us next, but we pray that you would give us vision and that you'd um, be, that vision would be reinforced by who you are. And just as you came into the world and have shown love for that world, we pray that you would send us now into the same world. In Jesus' name, amen. So hopefully you heard a word this morning, and I pray that it wasn't just my word to you. I, pr- I really do pray that it's Christ's word to you, yes, that you are his people, and not just his people, you're his sent people. Yeah. And that God is doing a good work in your life, not just as individuals, but as a community, as what we're called to be and to do here in our midst. And, I, you know, and God is always at work raising up and and gathering people unto himself and then equipping them. And part of the way he does that is through the the calling of some to be pastors and shepherds and evangelists and and apostles and prophets, leadership of of his his people to equip them for, for the work of ministry and to be made full in Christ. And so instead of our normal closing, we're going to do something. We want to, this is a pastor appreciation month. And we want to appreciate our lead pastor, Pastor Chad. And so the council has something that they'd like to share with our pastor. All right. You can hear me? That's good. Good morning. Um, I've got something for Chad, but... The good part is I can stand up here and embarrass him first. That makes it even better. Um, I always I think when I hear this about uh, mission, and uh, for, for those of you that might not know Chad very well, uh, he really lives mission. This isn't just something he gets up and talks about. Uh, when you get to know the kind of life that he lives, um, he really walks it out and uh, models it and uh, it's one of the things that I appreciate and we should all appreciate about him is he walks the walk when you look at his life he lives a missional life everything that he does is built around that and uh, so the thank you to him is for really modeling that life and really letting us see what it means for that to really be the most important thing in your life. Um, So we have a uh, gift if you'd like to come up. Um, uh, So, no, but not yet. Yeah, this is a lot of fun. Uh, so we have a, a, a really a small gift compared to uh, the kind of commitment that, that Chad shows uh, in his life and his work here. Um, we know that he likes to uh, spend time with his family, so we've just arranged for a, a, a little bit of a getaway uh, for them. So this is uh, from the council and from all of us. And I do this... Now I'll really let you have it. But you know you have to give it back because we have to give it to you again next service. So don't hold on to that too tightly. But uh, personally, I just want to say to you that ever since I've known you, which has been over 20 years, 
Um, and sincerely, I, I can't think of anyone I know that is a more uh, faithful and sincere follower of Jesus. And I've, I've known a lot of people, but that's... And I want to thank you personally for that. Yeah. So... So let's pray for him, shall we? Yes. God, we thank you yes. for the gift of um, Chad, who is our pastor, and his, the leader, leadership that he provides, the support, the friendship, and, and that as um, Ed said, just that he walks the walk and doesn't just talk the talk. God, thank you for the vision that you've given him for us and for this church, for this neighborhood, for this city, and for around the world. God, we pray that we would be faithful not just to you, but also to the way you're working and moving in and through him. And so as he, um, as he continues to lead us, would you build him up and encourage him? And would we follow that leadership so that we can live into the life that you have called us to in Christ Jesus in this particular time? in this particular place. God, give him every good gift. Bless him with every good blessing. Provide all the assurance and the reinforcement that he needs so that he can tackle the next um, season as our pastor. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. And I'll just close our service by just... uh, I'm going to uh, share this then blessing, this good word. And it's a word that is deeply theological because it's about Jesus. Go from this place as a sent people. And as you go, remember that God is better than you thought. The love of Jesus is deeper than you know. And the Spirit is everywhere working the wonder of mercy. In Jesus' name, go in peace. Thank you for listening to this North Rock resource. To find out more information about North Rock Church, check us out at www.northrockchurch.com.